Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Countdown is on, on uh, several fronts. As we open this episode of Believe in Titans podcast, let us remind you of some key dates that are fast approaching. July 22nd is the day Tennessee Titans rookies report for the start of training camp. Veterans, they'll show up three days later on July 25th. The first practice will be July 26th. Uh, which practices will be open to the public have not been released yet, but that should uh, should be coming as usual. The Titans will have a limited number of training camp practices available to, for people to see. The preseason opener, believe it or not, is one month away, August 12th at Chicago. And then uh, in, in between there along the way, July 23rd is the day the team is uh, – is going to reveal its throwback uniforms, which will uh, which will be in use this season. Uh, possibly, it sounds like for two games, one home, one away. But that uh, that remains to be seen. It's it's kind of funny to me that uh, that that they're making a big deal out of the reveal. We all know what these uniforms <laughs> look like, but uh, uh, we, we will talk about. Uh, we will talk about this. We will talk about the Hall of Fame. We will talk about, uh, as always, DeAndre Hopkins, it seems like, uh, and and whatever else we can squeeze in in this episode of Believe in Titans. With the usual lineup, former Titans cornerback Denard Walker. Denard, how are you? I'm doing good this evening, David. How are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, John Glennon of the Nashville Post. Good evening, sir. How are you guys? Doing great, doing great, and I am David Beauclair. And uh, Donato, I want to, I want to ask you real quickly. You know, nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. You played in the uh, in the uniforms of the Tennessee Oilers. They weren't the Houston Oilers, but they were, you know, they were the same same Columbia blue with the oil derrick helmet, and whatnot. And then uh, ninety nine and two thousand, you had uh, you you wore the first iteration of the two tone blue that is the Titans do. Do you have a preference? Are are you excited to see the Oilers uniforms back on the field at some point this fall? Not really. And I want to know how do you reveal something that's already been worn before? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. I, I don't miss those old Oilers logos, the the white on white. Uh, not at all. And that's one of the reasons I was so mad when I got drafted by Houston. I was like, please, I don't want to wear those uniforms. They kind of wear on you. And but uh, I'm anxious to see. I want them to go back old school, back in the '60s, like when Kenny Houston with the uh, uniforms that they wore. What was it? The Hall of Fame game years ago. What was yeah. the, that, and that, that? Those were nice. I like those uniforms. Yeah, two, 2009. They wore a couple different versions of the early uh, Oilers uniforms as part of the uh, 50th anniversary of the AFL, of which, of course, the Houston Oilers were a founding member. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the expectation is, is very much that this is going to be the, the, the Columbia blue that everybody knows. And, and it, it's interesting to me because it, you know, here in Nashville, it, it seems like there, there is a genuine excitement over this. And, and, 
you know, we were we were all around in in 97, 98. And, uh, you know, it was training camp in 1998 when when owner Bud Adams sort of gave in to public pressure and said he was going to change the team name and, and colors and everything because because uh, fans in Nashville were making it known they didn't want the Oilers and they didn't want to look. They wanted this to they, they wanted a fresh start and to 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 be for this to be their own sort of franchise, uh, you know, dissimilar to what we saw when the Baltimore Colts, for example, moved to Indianapolis or what the what the Raiders have done as they have bounced around. So, uh, John, I'll ask you this. What, you know, what do you think has changed over time? Are, are people just willing to be more sentimental now? Or, or, or do you, I mean, do you sense there's a there's a genuine excitement about this? It does seem to be a good bit of a, a buzz. I would think, you know, more than, than I might have expected. Um, you know, I think part of the reason, too, you know, is, is that there seems to be sort of this little bit of a of a rivalry now about the background of who gets the, the background of the oil. You know, the Houston Texans are, are kind of, you know, make some noise from time to time, or at least their fans do, saying that, you know, that they're really the uh, the, the Houston's team. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that's led to sort of a, a feeling among a lot of Titans fans of saying, hey, uh, you know, what this, this kind of thing is ticking us off. You know, that's that's our, our history, if you will. And so we want to take this one step further and we want to wear those old Houston Oilers uniforms against the Houston Texans just to kind of rub their nose uh, in it a little bit more. So I think there's that aspect of it. Um, and I think, you know, in this day and age, everybody gets excited when you say the word throwback. You know, um, it it just seems to add something. It almost makes you feel um, like, like you know, that there's more history to this Titans franchise than really there actually is, you know, because there is no real tie uh, aside, aside from the fact that, that, you know, one organization moved here from Texas. But when you start using the word throwback, all of a sudden there's this little bit more sentiment involved and, and I think people just enjoy that uh, in, in this day and age, as opposed to when they initially came here. Everybody wanted, as you said, everybody wanted their their new team. They didn't want any part of the uh, the previous Oilers. And, and it's interesting. I recently attended a memorial service for a, a longtime franchise employee, a, a gentleman named Bob Hyde, who who uh, lost uh, lost his battle to cancer not long ago. And there were uh, there were a handful of of former players dating back to the Oilers days there. And, and one of the people who spoke at the, at the service that day was quarterback Dan Pastorini, who of course uh, quarterback, the, uh, the, the Oilers during sort of their, their high point in the, in the late seventies, early eighties there under bum Phillips. And, and, and as he was talking about Bob and, and sort of the role Bob played, cause he was a guy who worked for the team in Houston then was away from them and then rejoined the franchise when they moved to Nashville here. And, and, and Bob was a, was a guy who was instrumental in the last few years and working with controlling owner, owner, Amy Adams Strunk in terms of creating an Oilers reunion the last couple years and bringing these players back. And, uh, and Dan Pastorini said, he goes, yeah, you know, a lot of us still live in Houston, but, Texans we're we're not the Texans they're they're not us we have nothing to do with that team and and he was saying how that you know the the old Oilers players feel very much uh 
all of a sudden welcomed and and they feel welcome in Nashville and they want to, you know, they want to come back regularly and do some things. Uh, You know, the team has said in the last couple of years that they're going to, they're going to do the, the ring of honor, redo the ring of honor. And and certainly I guess that now this will be a a big factor in the new stadium and, and maybe to where it's sort of a a walk of honor and, and where it's a more immersive experience to, uh, to, to give Nashville fans a better idea of the the history of this franchise, so it's uh, it, it it has been a uh, and I guess remains a, a a process, but but one that uh, that I I have to say I didn't see coming when uh, when Bud Adams made that announcement back in 1998 because it was a it was something Bud didn't want to do, but uh, but it was a business decision that had to be made because. Uh, Folks were going to say that, you know, they were saying they were not going to support the team in Nashville without some sort of change. You remember that day, Denard? Was there was yes. there any sort of sense of loss or, or any sort of, you know, sort of curiosity about what was going to come when, when that decision was made? I remember that. It was kind of like a changing of the guard because this is not like Cleveland moving to Baltimore and then all of a sudden Baltimore moving to Indy. When you look at Houston, Houston is considered an expansion team, like Jacksonville was, right, when they first came in. They're starting over from scratch. Yeah. Houston did is they took all of the Oilers, I mean, everything. If you think about it, when you are an Oiler and you induct it into, let's say, the Hall of Fame, or you go into the Titans, or you are part of the Titans organization. You're not a part of the Houston organization so houston has a look look at it like that you are an expansion team that started up in what was that 2000 or 2001 season for the first time so this is not the cleveland baltimore and indy if you want to look at that triangle that went down that was ugly back in the 80s that that's something that if you look at the colts man in indy you don't see when they go back to baltimore they're throwing it up in your face because people in baltimore have moved on because now you have the ravens the ravens are much like the texans you are in an expansion team i'm sorry i'll take that back cleveland turned went to baltimore and right. they became the Ravens, and then Cleveland should be an expansion team, right, David? Which which Cleveland was an expansion team, right. but part of the deal with Baltimore, with the with the original Browns moving, was uh, the league said you have to leave the history behind, right? And then, uh, and then in '99, you know, the Browns came back and they reclaimed all of that history as a as, but they came back as an expansion franchise with Tim Couch as the first draft pick and <laughs> uh, and all of that. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean, what's the difference between um, Cleveland coming back? Unless you got to go to courts, I mean, that's a business decision as opposed to like the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I'm sorry, Baltimore. I keep it's so much going on. <laughs> Baltimore and Cleveland. That was something very ugly back in the '80s. I remember yeah. kids in that situation, which is why John Elway and so many other players booming in size and didn't want to play for Baltimore because of the situation with Cleveland moving to Baltimore. I remember that? That's ugly. I, I think. I think the big difference is, you know. That Bud Adams had gotten sideways with city leadership in Houston and and yeah. kind of lost a PR war, and so the fans were not really behind him. And there was there was sort of this uh, there was sort of this attitude of 
you know, just take your team and go, bud. You, you know, at, yeah. at the time, and there, there was, there was not this great. No one, I guess, it didn't occur to anyone at that moment to to say, hey, but at least leave the Oilers' history because there. I mean, there wasn't a sense then. I, I don't think immediately that that Houston was going to get another team. Whereas w- when when Art Modell said, "I'm taking my team and going," I don't care what you say. The league came out right away and said, well, we're going to, we're going to get another team back in Cleveland as soon as possible. And this, uh, you know, it, it was, there, there was so much acrimony involved in, uh, in the, the Oilers departure from Houston that, uh, that I, you know, I guess it just didn't occur to folks at that point. And while we're talking about the, uh, the history of this team and, but Adams, we should say that uh, this week the the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced uh, semifinalists for the uh, for the senior players and the uh, the coach contributor category uh, for uh, for the the next induction class. Now it's still a long way from here uh, to actual induction into the Hall of Fame, and uh, there are a lot of names on both these lists, but. Uh, the uh, but but Bud Adams is in the uh, the coach contributor category as is longtime Titan scout Co Brocato and uh, Houston Oilers great wide receiver and and punt returner extraordinaire Billy White Shoes Johnson is is in the senior category. Um, you know John Bud Bud has been talked about as a as a potential candidate for some time now. Uh, seemingly every other original owner of the AFL is, is, is in the pro football hall of fame. Do, do you see a path for Bud to get in eventually? Um, maybe eventually, but I would have a hard time thinking he will get through on, on this round. Um, you know, as you mentioned, David, there's still process, uh, here to go. You know, this, this has to be this group of 29 in that coach contributor, uh, category has to get whittled down first of all to 12. Uh, then after that, you know, about uh, a few weeks after that, it gets whittled down to just one for, for final consideration into the hall for, uh, for 2024. Uh, and there are some significant names, uh, obviously in this group of, of 29. Not to say that, that Bud Adams is not significant for his contributions, you know, with the AFL merging into the NFL, but you know, you look at a guy like like Rune Arledge, for instance, and kind of the groundbreaking um, achievements he had in, in terms of television. You look at Art Rooney is in the group, you know, a, a revered, uh, you know, owner in, in Pittsburgh for so many years. And some of the coaches even, too, like, you know, Tom Coughlin. Uh, I could I could go on with some some other names as well. But for for Bud Adams, uh, you know, a significant role and a long role as he played. Um, with this organization, I, I don't know if I would consider him, uh, you know, much of a favorite, uh, especially this year with this group, uh, to to move any further. Yeah, it, it works against him. I, I think, as as I mentioned, that uh, you know he was sort of cast as a villain in the uh, in the battles with Houston government back in the in the 1990s and even prior to that, which ultimately led to his departure. And, and on top of that, he was a you know he's a quirky guy. He was not he was not polished when uh, when he was in front of the cameras and things the way say a, a Lamar Hunt was or uh, you know wasn't wasn't a, a wildly charismatic figure the way an Al Davis you know was that that sort of thing and and you can go back if anybody can find it, I don't even know if it's on YouTube but uh 
you know, his press conference the week of Super Bowl 34 in Atlanta was uh, was just a treasure trove of all things but Adams. He, it was this 45-minute stream of consciousness that 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 took him all over the place and uh and was was really self-indulgent and and at times a little bit uncomfortable at times truly hilarious and 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 what you know what's gotten lost over time was that you wonder how the AFL would have fared if not for Bud Adams who scored the first huge victory for that league when he uh when he signed out of LSU Denard the Heisman Trophy winner Billy Cannon basically stole him away from the NFL and and you know Billy Cannon was the first big star of the AFL he uh he he led the Oilers to the first two AFL championships and and uh you know I I think I think if you wanted to you could probably make the argument that the merger might never have happened if if Bud hadn't shown that the AFL could could and would go out and and pay to get the very best football players on the planet and 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 I I'm curious you know I'm curious Denard when you played Bud was was older and um you know he you'd see him in the locker room after wins and things what what was sort of what was sort of the feeling among the players what what kind of connection did you guys have with him at that time David what do you mean we uh we would see him in the locker room we never saw Bud Adams but one time uh and it's this interesting story <laughs> only one time have I been close to Bud Adams? Is that right? I, I, yes, I he, 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 he never came time. in the locker room, not yeah. one time. And the only time I saw Mr. Adams was in 1999 before we played Buffalo. Uh, he was in the team hotel. He didn't speak. He was just uh, getting on the elevator. I got on the elevator the same time he did. And it was weird. He called me. He said, uh, is this Anthony Dorsett? <laughs> and I said, no, no, this is Denar Walker. I'm the one you're going to have to pay next year. <laughs> so that was my, <laughs> that's my most vivid recollection of Mr. Adams. We never saw him. Uh, Floyd Reese kind of acted as that role, but Mr. Adams, no. But he was, uh, I mean, he did a lot. You know, like I said, I can't complain because he did sign my checks for four years. and He made my life so much easier. And he's done a lot for this league. I mean, you're talking about. I know people in Houston are a little bitter, and they should be, um, but uh, life goes on. But uh, for me, David, it's weird, and I don't want to get into, but when you talked, when you texted me uh, earlier and you talked about C.O. Bricado, uh, David, I could talk yeah. all day about C.O. Well, that, that, was, that was my next question. That's a name a lot of people don't know outside the football world, but everybody in the football world knows C.O. Bricado, right? David, C.O. Bricado, I can sit here and talk about. We call him CO. He's the one. He came down to LSU and worked me out. And he was a tough joker. Let me tell you something. He was tough as nails. And, David, he was a a longtime football coach, a high school football coach in Louisiana. He was a kicker in the 50s for Baylor and a linebacker. And CO actually lived here in the North Texas area. He lived in Arlington. And, David, let me just give you a quick story. So CO came down to work me out at LSU like he did all about a 1,000 other players when he worked me out, I must have been tired that day. It wasn't my best workout. So usually when I get when I finish a workout, the scouts they'll call my agent and let him, you know, let him know, you know, this is how he worked out today. Well, my agent, he called me, he says, Listen, Denard, CO just talked about how horrible you look. He said you look sluggish, you're too high, you're tired. 
And I said, well, John, keep going on. Keep, you know, give me some more. He said, Denard, you're absolutely, he said, you look terrible. Then all of a sudden on draft day, the, the, the Houston Oilers select me in the third round. And <laughs> he had a different story for Jeff Fisher. But, I mean, he scouted so many of us. He gave us a chance. I mean, that's really your first kind of interaction with the head coach is what he gets from the scout. So for me, it was an amazing, um, he was an amazing individual because he impacted my life because everything he told my agent, he told something different to the Oilers organization. <laughs> and, and, you know, CL was a, uh, he was a crafty guy. Like he had, he, he had connections with at every college football facility in the country seemingly and and you know like that's a uh you know that that's sort of a big deal apparently in the scouting community is is can you get in the facility can you get a look at practice film can you uh you know who's the first one to get a look at film and this and uh and apparently co was legendary i believe it was for showing up with donuts for the equipment guys because the equipment guys are always the first ones in the building anyway and he's like hey just show me where the video room is i'll find what i'm looking for and, and he'd be in there you know in, in some coach's office looking at film and the coach comes in like you know who are you what are you doing here and then the next thing you know he and CO are, are like best buddies and uh um uh, yeah there there was a time there uh particularly you know about the time that the franchise moved and and whatever if if CO Bricado heavily endorsed a player to Floyd Reese it, it was it was almost a guarantee that that they were going to draft the guy and and that didn't always turn out for the best that, you know, there were, there were some notable misses there, but, but CO CO was sort of the, if you got the final stamp of approval from him, they, you know, you were definitely on the Titans draft board. Uh, John, I want to, I want to ask you too, then real quickly about Billy white shoes, Johnson, a dynamic return man, pretty good receiver. It seems to me viewed more of a novelty act though almost because of his touchdown dances which are so you know so well known so well appreciated but but sort of overshadows maybe anything he did as a player don't you think i I think probably you know when you look at the the numbers they're they're good you know the receiving numbers are are good but not you know unbelievable um the the return numbers are the ones of course that that make you take notice even more i think i want to say was what maybe two kick return touchdowns and six return touchdowns i think over the years and that's what led to three all pro selections uh and so forth um you know and and i think he's worthy of you know being in the in the conversation um but he to me is is another one almost like but adams when you when you look at that group uh you know of guys that he is up against and some of the the talent and some of the numbers that they can put up with their resume i think just I, i would guess you know, the, the hall voters, when it comes down to maybe like, I think it's up to three guys in terms of the players that they can uh, eventually recommend for the hall in 2024. You know, I would think that they probably go harder on the numbers than they would in, in terms of, of, as you said, David, just such an entertainment factor uh, and then such a novelty act and so forth. At some point, it has to be more numbers than than that, which is why I would I would think that Billy White Shoes Johnson um, you know, might still be on the outside here in, in a few weeks. Yeah, if, there, if there's an entertainer's exhibit in yeah. in Canton, you know, he certainly has to be prominently displayed in that and probably has been at some point. It's not like, uh, you know, I mm-hmm. spend uh, a lot of time at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, and know every exhibit that's ever been there, but I'm I'm sure he's been, been featured at, at one point or another. 
let, let's move ahead, though, to one particular current wide receiver who continues to be of uh, of interest to folks in Tennessee, and that is DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, while there has been no real news or no no final decision about where DeAndre Hopkins will play, there has been there there's been a report that says the Titans are very aggressive in terms of their uh their pursuit of him and and plan to be as aggressive as necessary i i read another report the the other day that said what deandre hopkins is really waiting for is is for chris jones in kansas city to to get a contract extension so that the chiefs free up some money and they can sign him but then all of a sudden tuesday night into wednesday most interestingly i think to a lot of folks uh draft kings Flipped its odds for uh, for where DeAndre Hopkins is going to sign next, and the Titans were went from plus five hundred, meaning a uh, a five to one bet to to sign DeAndre Hopkins, to minus three hundred, which means uh, uh, one to three. In, in other words, you bet uh, bet three hundred dollars, you win a hundred dollars if uh, if he signs there. The, the, you know, all of a sudden the the Titans are the odds on favorite. Uh, D- Denard, does that mean anything to you? Does that uh, does that give you uh, reason, more reason to think he's going to be in in Nashville at some point this fall? Well, it gives you hope. It gives you hope right now. We know that we're coming up on training camp, and and listen, if you're D Hop uh, right now, and, and like I said, I don't look at when I look at something, I'm, I'm trying to see how that organization is going to fit for me. And if I'm DeAndre Hopkins, I know last year. Uh, it was a terrible year for him. We're talking about the PED suspension and not to mention, if you look at Arizona, they, they, they look poor. I mean, they struggled. Their offensive line was terrible. They were by pro football focus. They were second to last. Only Tennessee was worse. And then you look at everything. Kyler regressed uh, last year, had his lowest statistical output since this rookie season. Uh, their kicking game was abysmal. That's a nice word putting Arizona, not to mention that's what led to departure of Cliff Kingsbury. That's why he's out of a job right now. But if I'm D I mean, right now, I think Tennessee would be the best place for him. You're looking at a receiving core. You only have a true number one for Tennessee. And he's, he's only a second year uh, player and that's in Traylon Burks. So right now, David, I wanted to ask you a question. If you were a defensive coordinator, say you and John, and you said, listen, we're going to play the Tennessee Titans. And I have Traylon Burks on one side and I have DeAndre Hopkins on another side. Which one of those players would you double? I would double Hopkins. You would double Hopkins. John, Absolutely, what yeah. Same. He's got the track record. I got until proven otherwise, I'm doubling up D Hop. Well, thanks a lot. I would say I'm gonna double Traylon Burks because I'm going <laughs> 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 I'm youth relative talent because D Hop, we keep talking. Oh, he's 31 years old. But do you see that what happens is, is when you double one guy, you leave another guy kind of creates a mismatch for a defensive back, for a defender. So if I'm, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm looking at the game against Philly last year, and I'm looking at the Green Bay game, David, and I'm saying, you know what? This kid Burks out of Arkansas, he can top this defense with his speed, his 6'3 frame, and he can go up and get it. Listen, let's create, let's make it where we have a one-on-one with D Hop. So guess what? That leaves you one-on-one with a defender. And we know you said it, uh, David. You alluded to it a couple podcasts ago. He's the best receiver when you're talking about contested catches. 
man, that opens up holes for you. That opens up a, a whole new ball game. So if I'm D hopping, I want to say, listen, I think I can get a thousand yards this year. This might be the team that you can get it because guess what? You got a proven quarterback in Ron Tannehill. Look what Tan did in 2020 when he had CD and he had AJ. Both receivers knew what AJ was over a thousand. Corey had almost had a thousand yards. Unfortunately, he missed what a COVID and a family issue. But I mean, you know that Ryan's a proven quarterback. Isn't that what you want uh, if you were a quality receiver? It's a, uh, Denard makes a good point here, John Glennon. And, uh, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins said recently too, that he is, uh, you know, having recently turned 31, he says, I'm still a thousand yard receiver pointed. Had he pointed out that, that with his averages last year, had he, had he played a full season, he would have, uh, would have had about 1400 yards. Um, so, uh, I'll ask you that question. If he's with the Titans, can he be a thousand yard receiver? I don't think so, but I think that's okay. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, when you, when you look at some of the, um, uh, totals AJ Brown had here in, in his last couple of years in terms of number of catches, you know, 70 catches and 63 catches, you know, uh, and, and I think if, if D hop gets that many, he's not. He's not getting as far downfield these days as maybe he did in the past. Uh, you know, so I, I think, you know, I, I think he's more in the 700 to 800 yard uh, area if he's with the Titans. And, and I think there are other reasons for that, too. Uh, a, he's, you know, uh, he's 31 now. He's a little bit older. He started to miss some games recently. You have to factor that in over 31 guys in general less few years in the league just don't make big impacts. You don't see a whole lot of guys, uh, very few at all, catching a 1,000 yards. Um, and two, you're, you're going from a team uh, last year, for instance, in Arizona, when he was talking about the kind of pace that he was on, uh, they threw the ball 61% of the time last year, seventh highest in the league. And you're looking at a Titans team that threw the ball 48% of the time, 29th in the league. So it's a difference. There's going to be a difference in volume becomes to the to the titans as well but again i say it's not the end of the world if he ends up like in 700 or 800 yards because as as denard was just pointing out what happens is you get a guy like deandre hopkins out there and and he gets a lot of double coverage maybe to start out the year that is indeed going to open plenty of room for Traylon burks uh you know potentially for kyle phillips as well now maybe as the year progresses uh you know and, and if Traylon burks progresses well if he's making a lot of catches, all of a sudden that, that coverage does start to shift towards Traylon Burks. And then all of a sudden DeAndre Hopkins is starting to upgrade the, uh, the production as well. But if I had to say, if he's signing with the Titans, I'm putting him down between 700, 800 yards, maybe 55 catches, something along those lines, you know, 12, 13 yard average. But again, that that's okay. As long as Traylon Burks and some other guys, Shigo Conquo even, are uh, are producing because of what DeAndre Hopkins is doing out there. I think the Titans would be happy with that. I I, I will say, and, and Denard has talked about this repeatedly in in recent weeks. The one thing that would really help in this situation, if DeAndre Hopkins signs here, is that there's not going to be any adjustment period where the coaches are going to say. Okay, let's figure out what this guy can do and and 
you know, how we can fit him into our offense. With new offensive coordinator Tim Kelly, Tim Kelly has called plays for DeAndre Hopkins specifically during his time in Houston. I'm sure, I'm sure he's got a whole section that he's ready to just dump into the playbook right now. If uh, the the moment DeAndre Hopkins signs, if he signs with the Titans, it's like, okay, here's the DeAndre Hopkins package. This is these are all sorts of things that'll take advantage of of his absolute strengths. And I, and I would assume there's a there's a lot there in in the red zone too. That that's where you know to me whether he gets a thousand yards or not is is almost meaningless. If he catches 10 to 12 touchdown passes and and 9 of them are are in the red zone, then then that's where, you know, that that's where he has a chance I think to really really make a profound difference on this team because uh uh you know that's we all know that's 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 the hardest part of the field for wide receivers to operate. It's uh you know back to what Denard just mentioned, you know, there's, you're going to be contested on pretty much every throw, every catch there. And, uh, uh, you know, so that, that's where that, that's where things could go really, really well. And, and where there, there won't be sort of a ramp up period in terms of, uh, his productivity. And, and I think, I think, you know, we, we, we've talked about it too. What, what's the reason for the delay? Is it that, that he simply hasn't gotten the offer he wants is it that he just wants to take his time maybe wait till the uh wait till the halfway through training camp something like that we we don't know why he's waiting if it's that he's not gotten an offer that he thinks is worthwhile then if you're you know if your titans fans are hoping he signs here and and does so with sort of a chip on his shoulder too where he's like okay I'm going to show 31 other teams in this league you should have been opening your checkbooks for me and if uh if he's highly highly motivated that way i think uh i, I think everybody would have uh would have reason to to be excited about deandre hopkins and uh and what he could do so uh denar do you you, you any any change in your thinking that uh that it's you know you going to happen wherever it happens before training camp, or you think he's going to wait into training camp still? He's probably going to wait into training. You know, I hope something happens quickly because you do need to get, if you're a first year, like with D hop, and let's say you sign with Tennessee, you need to get yourself familiarized with Ryan Tannehill. You need to develop some chemistry. You don't need to come in and say, well, I know Tim Kelly knows me. He knows what I can do. I think you need to come in. You need to create, uh, you need to work together. You need to understand, uh, you need kind of how, Ryan needs to understand how D hop works, like which I, where I want the ball. That's what receivers would do in free agency. They come in and the first person they're going to talk to is the quarterback. They want to, one thing Tom Brady would do, he brings in all new receivers. They go to someplace in Florida at his compound and they work together. He's throwing routes. He's going to tell them where I want to put the ball. Where do you like it? So we can kind of find some common ground. You need that because what happens is, is you try to come in after training camp and let's say a week before the season and, you know, Ryan throws a ball here, but D-Hop wants it there. Then you have a little, you know, a little friction. So I think this would be a great situation for D-Hop. I would love to see him in Nashville because you have an offensive coordinator that you played with before. You know he knows how to coach you. You got 1,000 yards in 2019 when Tim Kelly was your offensive coordinator. What else do you want? And not to mention, David, he's probably going to be working on a one-year deal. Yeah. He's yeah he's gonna he's gonna be 
auditioning for the rest of the league, the the entire league, wherever he ends up this year. So John Glennon at, at minus three hundred. You a gambling man? Are you putting your money on uh, on DeAndre Hopkins to the Titans now? Ah, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to hold on to my money uh, for right this moment, I, I believe. Uh, and and you know, I I still am a little puzzled by that big shift. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to do a little research in that too, and I noticed there was a good uh, article by USA Today pointed this out. Also, one of the reasons, well, you know, uh, Michael Lombardi, former NFL general manager, um, is uh, uh, does a show called the GM Shuffle that is also sponsored by DraftKings, I believe. Well, it turns out yesterday. He also said on that show that he thinks the Titans are going to sign DeAndre Hopkins uh, because he thinks the Titans are going to pay. They need him more and therefore will pay him more than other teams. So that may have been uh, a large part of the reason why the odds shifted right there. Um, but I still see I, I look at, you know, you mentioned familiarity. Um, we, we do have Tim Kelly here, uh, but also the Patriots have Bill O'Brien, who, who, of course, was DeAndre Hopkins head coach. Uh, you know, and and I want to say maybe for at least one of his years there, maybe more than one year, was the play caller, uh, I think, too. So there's familiarity there as well. And when you look at the cap base right now, Patriots at 17.7 million, Titans at 8.3 million. So, you know, right as we speak right now, the Pats have, a, have an edge there. But, uh, you know, anything could happen. I don't think it'll happen soon, but certainly the Titans are still in the game. Yeah, well, one thing, uh, one thing about gambling is that odds don't move just to move odds move because somebody has put money down and uh whether it was people listening to michael lombardi or or what it was it it seems clear to me that that money has come in in the last few days on on the titans and uh and moved things so uh uh i i don't think that shift is is a product of any sort of inside information or anything like that. It's, it's simply money moving the needle, but uh, as always, we will continue to wait and watch along with the, uh, the rest of the NFL watching world. And uh, maybe next week we'll have an answer, but until then for this episode of believe in Titans, thank you, John Glennon. Thank you. Thank you, Denard Walker. Thank you. And I, David Beauclair, thank you all, as always, for listening and for for telling your friends. Everybody have a great week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.